Well, good morning. Um, thought at the 8 o'clock service, Robert introduced me, but I'm going for it this time. Um, I ended up reintroducing myself, so that's fine. Um, my name is Mark Wilson. For those of you that I haven't gotten to meet yet, um, and if you knew anything about me, you would know that the best parts of me are sitting right here. Um, my wife, Terry, Wiley, who's seven. I won't tell you Terry's age. Um, Gentry, who's 12, and my mom, Beth. I won't tell you her age either. Um, but they are the best parts of who I am, and they're sitting right here. So, And it's an honor and a privilege to get to be here this morning, to, to stand here before you, to get to, to try to unpack the scriptures with you today. It's an honor for our family to be a part of this body, um, this church called Church of the Apostles. It truly is a family, and it's a gift to get to be here. Um, also, if you really knew me, um, you would know that Terry and I um, work for a ministry called Young Life. Um, and quickly, just a, a quick note about that. We're a mission that exists um, worldwide. Terry and I didn't make it up. Um, and, and it's not just on the Eastern Shore. Um, we're in all 50 states of the country. We're in over 100, over 100 countries across the world. So it's not just this thing that was made up here in Fairhope. Um, it's bigger than us. Um, but we exist to introduce adolescents, middle school kids and high school kids to Jesus and to help them grow in their faith. And we do that in a variety of different ways. And I won't get into that today because that's not what we're here for. But if you want to know more, I'd love to buy you lunch or coffee and talk more about it. I'd love to share more about what we get to do um, in our jobs. But, but one of the gifts of being on Young Life staff is we get to take our high school friends to Young Life Camp, which we have over, I don't know, like 23 properties across the country that are really more like resorts. Um, so if you're thinking a, a bad summer camp experience, it's not that. It's more like a retreat center or a resort for teenagers. And everything there is built so that kids might be able to have an encounter with Jesus. Everything from the way the grass is cut and the flowers are planted, the meals are served, um, all points to, to Jesus. And we take kids with us that we know and we have relationships with that we formed over the year. Um, and most of these kids um, don't really go to church. Um, the world might say they're lost. I don't love that word um, to describe my high school friends. I think they're more disinterested, if anything. They're just not interested in the gospel. They're not interested in Jesus. They think it's boring. And so they don't go to church. Um, and our job, our mission is to befriend them and hopefully introduce them to Jesus. They come to faith and then we get to plug them into a church. It really is a gift and an honor, but we take them to camp and they experience high adventure. There's at Carolina Point where we were last week, it, there's a mile long zip line through the mountains. It's unbelievable. There's go-karts that go faster than they do at the track down in Gulf Shores. I think I got a concussion one year because the kid ran in, rammed into me when I was stalled out. Um, there's mountain biking, there's hiking, there's all kinds of crazy high adventure stuff, good fun, incredible food. We sit around a table family style, we pass food to each other. Um, some kids say that's the first time they've done that, sat around a table with people that cared about them and ate three home-cooked meals together. Um, but I would say that most of the time at the end of the week, if you ask a kid who's been to Young Life Camp what their favorite part of the week was, they would say that it's cabin time. And what that is, is at the end of every night, 
We have club, um, which is like a gathering, and 400 kids pack into a room, and they play games, we sing songs, but at the end of the night, the speaker gets on stage and shares the gospel throughout the week. So night one starts with creation and how God created the world and created each of us. And then the next night is the person of Christ. The next night, our need as people. The next night, we talk about sin and the reality of our broken, fallen nature. The next night, we hear the message of the cross, the greatest love story ever told. The next night, the resurrection. And then the last day, we talk about appropriation, which is a theological word for, hey, what are we gonna do now? You've heard the gospel, now what? And try to help them apply what they've heard to daily life. So they've experienced all of those things that I described, but they enjoy most cabin time. And what that means is after that talk, every night, we all go back to our cabins and leaders, um, volunteers and full-time staff sit on the floor of a nasty cabin and we sit in a circle and we talk about the things that they've just heard. And we ask them questions. And they would say that that's their favorite part of the week. And it never ceases to amaze me. Because if we sold the trip back in October with, hey, come with us to Carolina Point in North Carolina and you're, you're gonna love cabin time. It's gonna be incredible. They would not sign up. But it ends up being their favorite part of the week. Night five at Young Life Camp is the night that they get to hear about the cross. It's a beautiful night. I believe it's holy. And kids hear for the first time the message of the cross and how Jesus came lived the life we couldn't live, died the death we were supposed to die, and they hear about it. And then the speaker sends them out, um, 400 kids across the property by themselves. No iPhones, no distractions. They ask them not to go with their girlfriend or their boyfriend. Sit by yourself under the stars to think about what they just heard. There's no manipulation. There's no, you should think this and pray this prayer. Just go be and listen and think about what you just heard. Well, immediately following that, we go back to cabin time and we ask this question. I think it's low hanging fruit, so I ask it first. Hey, what did you think about during your 15 minutes alone? I always start there because I feel like everyone can answer that one. It's not too hard. What'd you think about? And nine times out of 10, most summers, there'll be at least one guy in the cabin that will say this, Man, I just, honestly, I laid there under the stars and I just really asked God to prove to me that he really loved me. So I asked him to send me a shooting star or to send a breeze to make me know that he's real and that he loves me. And if I'm honest with you, when I first started doing this, I would kind of laugh a little bit internally, like that feels really silly. And then as I, I moved a little bit in age, I started to maybe get a little frustrated with that response, because I wanted them to see and grasp the picture of the gospel so, so powerfully that, that it, it drove me a little crazy that they still wanted a shooting star. After they heard about the cross and that Jesus died for them, they're still asking for more. And as I've gotten a little older, a little wiser, a little grayer, I've started to really realize that aren't I maybe a little bit like that kid? in my cabin. Aren't we, if we're honest, a little bit like that kid in my cabin that night? Are we asking for more? Maybe we believe 
the truth of the Bible. Maybe we believe the scriptures, but maybe if God would just do this, if he would just answer this prayer, if he would just make me feel like this, or if I could have that house or that thing or be a part of that group or that job, maybe I would feel better. Well, I don't know if you know this, Maybe you do, my guess is that you do, but our readings that we read every Sunday, Robert and Mark and Gabe and Taylor, they don't just make them up. They don't just sit around in August and think about what they wanna preach about all year. Our readings come from a thing called the lectionary. And around the world today, Anglican churches are reading these same scriptures and people are standing before their congregations and, and trying to make sense of them. So I think that's special. There's a worldwide link that we get to be a part of and I don't think it's a coincidence today that, that I got the privilege to, to share today for these specific scriptures um, fresh off a week at Young Life Camp because we do ask a lot of questions of these kids and Jesus in the gospel today asked some questions to his disciples. He, they had just seen him feed the 5,000. They had just witnessed that, that miracle. They actually were the physical people that passed out the fish and the bread. Before that, they had seen him heal the hemorrhaging woman just by touching the cloak of Jesus. They had been a part of it all. They had seen him do miraculous things. And so he asked them this question, who do the crowds say that I am? And they start stumbling some answers out. Some say John the Baptist. Others say Elijah. Some say prophets of old, maybe. And then Jesus says, all right, that's fair. Who do you say that I am? And Peter, who I love, um, I think Peter might have been a little impulsive in life. He might have had a tinge of ADHD, but he jumps up and I picture him just proudly saying, you are the Christ. In Matthew's account of this story, he says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Peter was the one who said it and he answered that question. And I believe most of us here today would answer it just like that. That's why we're here. We say these prayers, we sing these songs, we listen to gifted teachers like Robert and Mark and Gabe and Taylor and Dan and Susan and whoever else might speak here. We say them in the prayers of the people and in our creed that's so beautifully written, we say that Jesus is Lord. We say it with our lips, but I wonder if we just go through the motions sometimes. I wonder if we just say it because it's written in front of us and if we really pause and think about what it really means. And so I think we would answer the question just like Peter. He's the son of the living God. He's the Christ. Yeah, I believe in Jesus. That's why I'm here at this church um, on Sunday morning. So maybe you would answer it that way. But I wonder how you would answer this question. Is who does Jesus say that we are? Who does God say that you are or that I am? And I think that's where um, our Galatians reading really struck home with me this week, last week, the week before as I was reading through this, is that it begins to tell us because of Jesus who we are or who we get to be. Um, some 20 plus years ago, um, I was finishing college and uh, that's not that long ago, right? Um, I was finishing college, and I got caught wind of uh, my parents actually told me of a new church that was being planted on the Eastern Shore, this new Episcopal church that, this, that Robert Sewell was planning, who I knew was friends with my family. And 
I wanted to check it out. They told me I should give it a shot. And so I did. I was a little skeptical. I hadn't been as active in church in college as I had been as a child. And I knew it was time to start figuring that out. And so I went and I walked in the doors and I honestly don't believe my life's ever been the same. Um, and so Robert had this assistant, this associate, youth minister, whatever you want to call him. He could do most anything in the church. His name's Stuart. He's a priest today, but everyone calls him Stu. And I noticed something about Robert and Stu that they had that I wanted, and it was Jesus. They knew who they were in him. Their identity was rooted and founded in him. They answered that question that Jesus asked, just like Peter did, and they lived it out. But they also lived out our Galatians reading as well. And I found myself oddly showing up, not just on Sundays to this place called Church of the Apostles. It was in Old Town Daphne. I think it's a yoga studio now where we met. But I would show up during the day at the office, the church office. And I remember going to visit Stu just to hang out with him. And I remember he had this bulletin board. Do y'all remember bulletin boards? We used to have those. You would peg things on them, pictures. Um, and he had a quote on it. And it really stopped me dead in my tracks. But it is a quote by Brendan Manning. And it says, radically define yourself as the beloved of the Father. Radically define yourself as the beloved of the Father. And when I read that, I really stopped and asked myself, what would, it look, what would my life look like if I actually did that? If I actually believed that about me? Sure, I believe it about others, but what if I believed it about me? So I think, I believe the world tells us the opposite of that. The world around us is, is speaking so many different voices into our heads, whether it's through the news cycle, whether it's through our phones that we've all become so attached to. Um, it structures, our phones have become a thing that structures our day. Maybe it's the first thing we look at when we wake up or the last thing we do look at when we go to bed and the most that we look at in between those hours. And it's telling us things that, that are contrary to what um, this Galatians passage tells us about who we are, but also about who Jesus says we are. Um, so I wonder which voices are we listening to? Is it the world? Is it the things around us? Is it the things we want and desire and to achieve and to have and to hold? Is it those things that are, that are driving us in life? Or is it the words that we're about to hear from Galatians um, that tell us who we really are, our real source of identity. And I believe that our Galatians passage couldn't be more crystal clear. You see, through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, we have true identity in him. We're heirs. He says we're sons and daughters. We're to put on Christ. Um, it's a beautiful piece of scripture that I think we could go in 20 different directions this morning. But I want to simply say a few things about who we are in Christ and about the significance of what that means. I, I borrowed this, not stole it, from the church library to show you something. This is a thick Bible, the biggest one I could find in there. Um, but to show you this, this is the Bible, the Word of God, and the first three chapters are this thin, okay? The rest of the Bible is this thick. That's a lot. It's a big difference. But chapter three, we get it wrong. 
We go our own way. It's called the fall. We get it wrong. We start our own journey away from God, rebelling, going our own way, believing the lies of the, the enemy, believing the things of this world that, that it says are true about us. And you know what the rest of this is? The rest of this is God in his mercy, chasing after us, trying to bring us back, trying to make it right. Time after time, he says, here I am, here I am. And yet we keep going. We keep listening to the other voices. We keep paying attention to the other things. This whole book is him chasing after us to tell us that we're his beloved, that we're his sons and we're his daughters and that he is pleased with us. Yet we still run. We still chase after other things. We still listen to the voices that we know don't fill us the way that only he can. You see, we couldn't fulfill the law on our own. And God knew that. We couldn't do it. We couldn't get it right, obviously, if you read any of this. So what God did is he sent his son, he sent Jesus to live the life that we couldn't live, to die the death that we deserve to die, and to be raised to life so that we could have life everlasting, so that we can know the Father personally. Paul says um, that we're heirs. We get the inheritance of the kingdom of God. He says that we're sons and we're daughters, and he uses the word sons specifically because in ancient times, the firstborn son inherits all that the Father has to offer. Only him. All that the Father has to offer. He gets it all. And so what Paul's saying to us through that, through being an heir, is we are that. We are the firstborn. We are heirs. We get it all, the inheritance that he has to offer. Sons and daughters, we're his. We're his beloved. We have life everlasting. Paul also says that we put on Christ daily. That's a conscious effort to put on something. I was reading some stuff by Tim Keller about um, Galatians, and he goes into a lot of detail, as he's really good at doing, about clothing and putting on something and our identity being in Christ. And I'm just going to share a little snippet of that is that it is, it's an intimate thing to put something on. It's the first thing we do in the morning. We put on clothes. It's really the first thing that touches our skin. It's the thing that we wear out into the world. It's really the first thing that people see about who we are. It's the first thing, this first glimpse of, of who we are that people see most of the time is what we're wearing. And so I don't think Paul said that by accident, that we put on Christ. It's an active thing. It's not something that we can just forget about and hope happens. It's a daily process of putting on Christ and going out into the world to be the people he's called us to be. Because we're heirs, we're Abraham's offspring. We get all the promises that God promised to Abraham if we're in Christ. Every single one of them, if we're in Christ, we get those promises. We didn't earn it. We don't deserve it. It's a free gift. He came to fulfill the law because we couldn't. And because of him, we become his beloved. We become his favorite. We are fully known, we're fully loved if we're in Christ. We can radically define ourselves as the beloved of the Father. And so back to the questions. Jesus asked two. And I think 
when I ask my cabin that question, it's easy for them to answer the first one. Who do your friends back home say that Jesus is? They stumble around it. They say, oh, they say this, they say this, they say that, they say this, and every single kid answers the question. When I ask them, all right, well, what do you say about Jesus? Who do you think he is? They get a little squirrely. They start looking down at the ground. They look up at the, the ceiling. Maybe they get up to go to the bathroom. Maybe they get distracted, start giggling. That's a personal question. But I believe that we know the answer to that in this place, that he's the son of the living God. But how would you answer the question of what he says about you? Do you believe, do you believe that you are radically defined as the beloved of the Father? Do you know that about yourself? Are you living your life in a posture? Sorry, are we, because I believe this is for me too, are we living our lives radically defined as the beloved of the Father? Are we just going through the motions? Do we say those things on Sunday and then Monday through Saturday chase after things that, that don't bring us life, that might even destroy us? Guys, we're free. We're no longer slaves to the law. In Christ, we're free. And he doesn't leave us alone. His promise is his spirit. It's constantly with us, living in and through us so that we're able to have the strength to put on Jesus, to put on Christ and to go out in the world to be the people he's called us to be. So I'll close with this question. What if, what if we radically defined ourselves as the beloved of the Father? Personally, in our families, in our homes? What if our children went into their schools believing that about themselves? What if we went into our workplaces believing that about ourselves? What kind of place would Church of the Apostles be? kind of place would Fairhope look like? What kind of place would the Eastern Shore be and beyond? So I invite you to live into the truth that you're his beloved. He's crazy about you. Because of Jesus, you're free and you're his beloved. Amen.